All right, welcome back to the Social Trap Podcast. You guys already know what it is. We have my dad's friend that I had asked and I'm blessed by to uh, come on this podcast and talk about his experiences in faith. His name's Mr. Steve Hemphill. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Yes, sir. Um, so I just wanted to get started. I read, I was uh, researching something or some things on you with um your fit your ministry how you got started in it so i guess ex i guess explain what active faith is and how it works um and okay. kind of what you do i guess okay well it started out uh accidentally becoming an author <laughs> i know oh, that's okay. weird but i had a business that was doing about six million a year in sales in the technology industry wow. and it became obvious that god wanted me in ministry and writing books and speaking uh, so I have I actually have five books now. Four of them are on spiritual warfare. That's the primary thing I get asked to come speak on, especially with what's going on in the world today. Active faith is uh, a unique approach that's very Bible based toward the daily uh, temptations and traps of the world uh where we use bible verses on tent stakes and strategically place god's word around people to to empower christians to walk their faith out in their daily life i hope that makes sense yeah yeah so tent stakes you said that i've heard a lot about this we had them at our old house um kind of explain what those are because a lot of people just have one no clue like these kids or most of the people listening to this are like 20s my age so, yeah. I mean, no one really understands a lot of spiritual warfare. I've talked about it before, but no one listens, you know, so they would listen to you. And so <laughs> explain like 10 stakes, I guess, starting out, and then we'll go from there on spiritual warfare. Okay. Well, first of all, I think spiritual warfare is, uh, is how the unseen beings, Satan and demons are working against us in the modern world. And a lot of people don't study that. Even most Christians don't really have a clue on how that's happening we, we know the enemy studies our playbook but we don't study the enemy's playbook and ephesians 6 is the basic bible verse passage that that uh, this comes from where it says our enemies are not flesh and blood they're principalities and powers and spirits in the unseen world so when you have somebody that's treating you bad that person is not your enemy it's the unseen being influencing that or if you have a temptation you're falling into like um, sexual perversion or drugs or, you know, porn or whatever, then, then it's the enemy putting those thoughts in our mind because we're supposed to take captive every thought. And so here I was knowing a little bit of that background uh, about Ephesians 6 and the spiritual armor and the fact that we are being attacked by unseen beings, but I never had applied it in a, in a modern world in a real way until I was writing my second book. It's a book called Prayers Satan Hates, and I was sharing prayer success stories. But I prayed that God would give me something special to put in this book that would really help people. That was my simple prayer. And right after I prayed that, like within two days, I get a phone call from a friend, and he's, he was a Christian, and he said, hey, I've got a buddy who's not a Christian and he has a spiritual warfare problem right now. Aren't you writing on that? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, would you talk to him? You know, I've never been able to bring this guy to Christ. And with these problems he's facing in the arena of spiritual warfare, maybe this is our chance. Would you talk to him? And I said, yeah. 
So I go meet this guy, Bill, and we're just talking face to face. And I said, what's wrong? What's your spiritual warfare problem? And he says, I have demons on my property and I'm getting ready to commit suicide. I just wanted to talk to you first. And so obviously I felt an enormous amount of pressure when when he's serious about killing himself and he's not a Christian. And so I just began to pray. Now he's still talking. He's telling me all the reasons why he thinks he has demons, which I never heard of, by the way. I was raised in a real conservative Christian church environment. And, and you know, we never talked about demons or the Holy Spirit or supernatural things like this. So I was kind of the wrong guy to call. But God put me in the middle of this, of this situation. And I just felt obligated to quickly come up with something. He's explaining to me all the reasons why he thinks he has demons. He's hearing voices. He's having nightmares. By the way, nightmares don't come from God. They come from the enemy. Satan is prince of darkness. He's having suicidal thoughts. He's going bankrupt. He's having friends betray him. All these bad things. And and he's explaining all that. And I'm sitting here praying, Lord, what do I tell him? He's not a Christian. He's going to kill himself. How do I help this guy? And immediately a very strange verse from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy chapter six, pops in my mind as soon as I pray. Now, I couldn't have quoted this verse if you'd have offered me a thousand dollars. And all of a sudden, I just remembered the whole verse. And it's, I don't know, verses six through eight, something in there. And it goes, uh, you're living in a land full of evil. So be sure and put my word on your gates and on your doorposts. Now, gates and doors symbolize protection. You know, we, we shut our gates at night. We shut our doors at night, protect our family from any enemy or anything bad that would happen. So the idea was God's word protects better. And so the Jewish people took that verse literally, and they put a little box on their doorposts and gates that had Bible verses in it. They literally put God's word on their gates and doorposts. They didn't say, oh, that's just symbolic. You don't do that. Literally, they did it. And that, in fact, they still do that. Literally, it's called a mezuzah. And by the way, it's not a magic box. It's a symbol of their connection to God, their covenant relationship with God. So that verse pops in my mind and I'm thinking, how does that help? And then it sort of clicks. I sort of know what to do. And I interrupt Bill and I said, okay, guy, don't kill yourself yet. You know, let's try something bizarre. Um, the Bible's full of bizarre stories. You know, there's talking snakes and walking on water and resurrection. Let's take some tent stakes and put Bible verses on them. And then let's just hammer them all the way in the ground on the four corners of your place where all this bad stuff is going on and sort of take the land back for God, like pray and read the verses out loud together and ask God to stop this stuff and see what he does. Now, obviously, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm grasping at straws trying to help a guy who's planning to kill himself, you know, and I'm just yeah. trying to think of something to stop him. And this is what came to mind. So we did that. And uh, everything changed. He became a Christian the next week. He wanted to be baptized. And the idea sort of took off. And I could tell you lots more stories. But long story short, I got talked into selling uh, tent stakes with Bible verses on them. We used to put stickers on them with verses. And then a plastics manufacturer called and offered to spend $10,000 to build a mold with engraving in it so that the verses were built into the plastic and I wouldn't have to use stickers on them anymore. And wow. I said, okay. And so far we've ordered over 200,000 stakes from this plastics company. And we've shipped them all over the world. 
and people call me with stories uh, or email or text or Facebook message me stories every day about how this changed their life and that God's word is still powerful. And so they talked me into doing a podcast. It's called Battle Plan. It's my background when I speak and interview nowadays. And uh, and it's all God. It's all amazing stories of how the power is still in the word of God. God is still on the throne and prayer still works. Yeah. So I've always wanted to ask you this because I feel like a lot of people, there's a lot of doubt that goes on. And even in there, if they know God's real, it's like, yeah, God's real. But sometimes you get those thoughts where it's like, but like, what if he's not? Have you ever had, like, I mean, with spiritual warfare, you've seen and experienced, like that's your job to fight how real it is in a way. So have you, do you still ever have those thoughts where it's like, where it's like it, but is it real? Cause I'm assuming not, but like, you know what I'm saying though? Like those thoughts. It's it's a good question. And and I'll answer, first of all, I'll say not anymore, Mm -hmm. but at first I really did before this happened. I had days like that. We all do. And that's common. There's nothing wrong with you, even if you're a Christian and you have those doubts. You know, read the Psalms. David doubted. And then, you know, he would finish the Psalm and say, yeah, but then I remembered you're on the throne and you're real and you've promised heaven and eternity. So what happened was when this stuff began to happen, I was raised in such a conservative environment. And so was my wife that I began to come home and tell her these stories. And I was hardly believing them myself. And she would look at me and smile and say, honey, that's great. Let's don't tell anybody about this, okay? Because I yeah. want people to think you're normal. You know, I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I kept arguing with God about this. I said, God, this can't be real. You know, this is too, this is too easy. This is helping people. How does this work? It doesn't seem like this is possible. And the other thing that baffled me was we're using the same stakes with the same verses on them that are basically about God protects his people. And that's helping all kinds of situations. It was helping people with suicidal thoughts. It was helping people with bipolar. I had a guy walk out of the hospital who was bipolar on five kinds of medication. After they staked his room, he was fine the next day. And so I don't know how many mental health conditions have a demonic element, but I learned that it's illegal for counselors to bring it up as a possibility. It's against the law. But yeah. Jesus never approached some demoniac and said, oh, it's it's mental. I can't help him. You know, it was always a demon to Jesus. And yeah. so that started. me. And the other thing I noticed is. The Bible never says you just need to pray harder. But many, 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 many examples in the Bible say it's prayer plus action, prayer plus blood on the doorpost, prayer plus marching around Jericho, prayer plus piles of stones when they cross the Jordan. Prayer plus touching the hem of the garment of Jesus. She believed that would make a difference, and it worked. She was already praying all the time. She couldn't even go near her family. She had to yell unclean. In fact, she was disobedient to the law of the of her time by not yelling unclean, stay back, put your mask on, and get away because yeah. I might be contagious. You know, yeah. she didn't do that, which was illegal, and yet she was healed. I mean, why wouldn't Jesus say you disobeyed the law? He didn't do that. He said, your faith made you well. Go and be, yeah. be healed. Show yourself to the priest and those kind of things. So prayer plus action is the norm in the Bible, not just prayer alone, which led to a whole list of spiritual weapons I've discovered in the Bible that I didn't know were there. I thought we had two weapons. Prayer is a weapon and God's word is a weapon. But then prayer plus touch, I just mentioned that's in Mark 9. That's a weapon. And Jesus taught prayer plus fasting 
was a weapon. Sometimes it takes prayer plus fasting. And then we got prayer plus oil in, in James 5. And then there's a testimony in the blood of Jesus. I'm up to 70 weapons from scripture. And I teach those in a seminar and I have a new book called 12 Spiritual Weapons that puts some of the most powerful in there. The idea is when you're praying for something and you're not seeing anything change, keep adding weapons till you begin to see the change. You have yeah. more errors in your quiver than you thought you had. I hope that makes sense. No, yeah, it does. And so you've written a book on prayer, um, prayers that Satan hates. Um, so I was wondering, even when we pray or make any decision, because like, you know, the spirit realm, everything, just what kind of pull does what we say, what we do, what we open ourselves up to, what kind of pull does that have that we don't even see? Like every decision, every thought, every word, like how does that, and even prayer, like how does everything we do have a spiritual pull in the in the spirit realm? Well, a lot of us have given up on prayer and, and that's been part of the problem. Um, what, what, one example I like to use to help illustrate what you're asking about is, you know, I owned a business and I had 36 employees, but my secretary knew if any of my three boys ever called, I don't care what kind of a meeting I'm in. I don't care where I am. You put them through to me right away. That's the privilege we have of family. When you become a Christian, you're adopted into the royal family of Jesus. You're a co-heir with Christ. So whatever God is busy doing, he stops and listens to you immediately. And I'm also learning to believe in prayer. James also talks about a, a man that doubts when he prays, you know, it's not going to happen. But if you pray in faith, you're going to see things happen. Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed for three years it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain. And that example is in there for us. I think that's because God knew many of us were going to sort of give up on prayer. And so I have begun to not only believe in the word of God being powerful and placing it around people strategically, but also I'm learning to believe in prayer because I'm beginning to see so many answered prayers. People will call me and they'd, one guy called me one day and said, man, I, I staked out my property with my daughter and she went, walked away from her faith 25 years ago, but this really impressed her. And I think if I could get her to talk to you, I could get her back in a relationship with the Lord. And I said, okay, let's pray about it right now. Dear God, please help her to want to talk to me so bad. She can't stand it in Jesus name. Amen. <laughs> and he, and he, he said, okay. Two weeks later, he called and said, you're right. She wants to come talk to you. Is Friday. Okay. So see those kind of things begin to happen when we believe and pray. Another thing that uh, helps illustrate the answer to what you just asked, and you've asked a great question, by the oh, way. I really, that's a, that's a very good question. Appreciate you. I got a call from a lady in Nashville one day, and she said, I love what you're doing. I came to your seminar. I've got a four-day seminar called Demon Versus Prayer. It's free on the internet now. Okay. <clears throat> she said, my son walked away from God 10 years ago, and uh, I've been praying for him every single day for 10 years. I'm giving up on prayer. Nothing has changed. And I said, well, hold on just a minute. You remember that verse in Revelation that says God loves our prayers so much that he saves them in golden bowls? I can't quote it right now, but yeah, it's no, I know that verse. I know that verse. And, yeah. and it says it's like a sweet smelling incense to God. It, before that lady called, my picture, my mental image of that was you had a golden bowl. And I had a golden bowl and everybody has a golden bowl. And when we pray, it goes in that. But in that moment, God gave me a whole new mental image of that. It, I realized that 
everything I pray for has a separate golden bowl. And some of the golden bowls, I'm praying for things that are just a small thing to ask God. But some of the things I'm asking are like a 55-gallon drum, and it takes longer to fill that one up. Yeah. And if I pray and anoint oil and I pray and fast, and 10 people pray and fast with me for this person, maybe it gets full quicker. But I said to this lady, I said, don't give up on prayer. This may be a 55-gallon drum situation, golden bowl, bigger, because this is a bigger ask of God. And maybe you've got it right near the top. And you give up on prayer right before it overflows and he answers the prayer. And this yeah. lady just started bawling. And she said, you've given me hope. I'm not going to give oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So, 